If you have a Bible, turn with us to Mark chapter 1. We started the Gospel of Mark last week. And we'll take our time going through this pretty short book. You know, it's only um, about 678 verses, 16 chapters. So Mark chapter 1, verse six, six, um, 14, rather. Down to verse 28, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little far, farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed. So they, so they all, so they, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, "What is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him." And immediately, his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. A lot of lessons you learn around. The Galilee Sea, if you ever go to Israel, I think that's one of the, well, we were on a boat on the Galilee Sea. It's not a sea, but it was just remarkable. You know, you just tear up while you're on that boat because you just think about all the lessons the disciples may have learned. You know, I'm not sure, not may have learned that they really learned. You know, true disciples follow Christ. And so it's interesting how, you know, now Jesus is on the scene you know, he was tempted by the devil, drove into the wilderness, and for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. Matthew gives us more details about that temptation in detail from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. And it's interesting that as you study and you start looking at Jesus and you start thinking about the disciples, you're like, what in the world would make somebody want to be a disciple of Christ, you know? When you look at their, you look at the story until you start unfolding and say, oh, wow, this is the significance of following Jesus Christ. This is, you know, this is way bigger than what we see with the human eye. You know, something else happening here. And Jesus is starting to make his public ministry. Luke gives us details before he picked his, you know, the disciples. He prayed all night long. You know, I mean, you prayed all night long and this is the group you got, you know. 
in Luke chapter 6. He prayed all night long. But Jesus' public ministry would start when John would come off the scene. Remember, John was like, prepare ye the way, the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He was almost like the best man of the groom in a sense, you know, in a figurative sense, because John would be the one that would be, you know, John was had a public ministry, but didn't last that long. It lasted about six months. It never performed one miracle, not one miracle. And it's interesting when it's this noun after John in verse 14 was put in the prison after his six months ministry, Herod Antipas, remember? Because he said it's not lawful for you to be with your brother's wife. And he got mad at him. And then Herodias and, you know, her daughter and so forth dancing. And, you know, she said, oh, you got one request here. Give me John the Baptist's head on the platter. And we'll see that later on. But now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee. Now this is the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry. Mark skips past what John writes in um, Jesus being in Judea first. Because remember in chapter 2 of John, he talks about Jesus first performing the first recorded miracle of him turning water into wine. Mark goes past that. And he goes right to Jesus came to Galilee. Now, his Galilean ministry, when you study the Bible and you study the Gospels, please take note that the Galilean ministry of Jesus was so much different than him being in Judea and other parts in that area in the Mediterranean world. It was so much different. So masses of people in that area, a much larger population in, Gal- in the Galilee area, a much broader you know, group of people and more diverse you had Gentiles, you had Jews, and you had Samaritans. So you had a combination of different people in that Galilean ministry, this region which was north of Judea, and it was much more populated. So this is where Jesus comes. Jesus came to Galilee, notice, preaching the word caruso, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God, the king comes preaching about his kingdom. He is the king. Who is this king of glory? You know, you know, and this David wrote us interesting. Now David wrote Psalm 22, Christ the suffering savior. You know, Psalm 23, he's the shepherd. Then Psalm 24, he writes the triumph, you know, triumphant savior, the, the, the king of glory. And when he says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. And he says, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors. And he says, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in metal. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up, your, lift up you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Here's the king coming on the scene talking about the kingdom of God. He is the king. We're kingdom kids, you know that? And he's the king. And it's interesting that Mark says kingdom of God. Fifteen times you'll say kingdom of God. Luke says it 32 times in this gospel, kingdom of God. Matthew only mentions the kingdom of God six times. He uses another phrase, kingdom of heaven. And some people say, and he uses that phrase kingdom of heaven 33 times. Some people say, well, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, you know, Lord, King forever and ever. You know, in Psalm, you know, 10, 16, Psalm 29, 10 says he's the king forever and ever and ever. The prophet Daniel 
And Ezekiel speaks of God, the God of heaven, who set up his kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. In Daniel 2.44, we're just looking at it Tuesday morning. And in Ezekiel 37.25, a kingdom that's everlasting king, an everlasting kingdom. So to make a long story short, the God of heaven is the king of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven is God's kingdom. Whereas his son, Jesus Christ, has been given authority both in heaven and earth. Because he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth in Matthew 28, verse 18. And, he, and he's over all flesh. <laughs> he's over all flesh. You know, when he prays in John 17, 2, Jesus is over all flesh. So he's the king. Matthew writes this, that Jesus is the king. He's the king of the kingdom and is the king in heaven. And it sort of fixes it all up for us because people say, well, what is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven? When you read Matthew, when he talks about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, and he, and he told the disciples, and again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He says in that phrase, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, they're synonymous. So here the king comes, Jesus, to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Saying, and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Why is it at hand? Because the son of God, who is the king of the kingdom, has come. That's why it's at hand. He's standing right before them. And listen to the king's message. Repent and believe in the gospel. Three key words here. He says, repent, metanoia, you know, to change one's mind or purpose. That's the Greek word for metanoia, is, is repent. He says, believe, which is about 250 times in the New Testament. John uses that word about 99 times. Mark uses this word here now, pastuo, which means to place your confidence in and to entrust, to affirm. He says, repent, and believe in the gospel. The Evangelion, the word gospel. He says, believe in the gospel is now neuter, which means the gospel, the good news, is of the coming Messiah because it's a noun. The gospel is Jesus Christ, is the gospel. Remember when Mark started his gospel off, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You believe in the gospel, you believe in a person. You believe in the person. The, the word here is a noun. It's not a verb. You believe in the person. Who's the person that was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead? He is the gospel. Christ is the gospel. The message is about him. He's the king. The kingdom is, uh, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in me. Believe in Jesus Christ. And believe in the message of Jesus Christ. Because the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So he is the message. The volume of the book was about him. So when they saw Jesus Christ here, here is the gospel right here. He is the word that became flesh. And it says, and as he walked by the Sea of Galilee. Now, don't get confused because when you read Luke, Luke never calls it the Sea of Galilee. Luke calls it the lake of Gennesaret. The lake, Gennesaret meaning garden of riches. You know, he calls it the lake of Gennesaret. You know, in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 34, 11, and in Joshua, I think it's chapter 12, verse 3, it's called the Sea of Kinnereth. 
the Sea of Kinnereth. And, and so the, uh, when you read it, the Kinnereth is the word for, that's the Galilee Sea. Kinnereth is the Hebrew word for harp, shaped like a harp. If you get a map and look at the Galilee Sea and go get a harp, it's shaped like a harp. I don't know who walked around it to figure out that it was shaped like a harp, but it's shaped like a harp. The Sea of Kinnereth, John calls it the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Tiberias. You know, it's about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. The Galilee Sea is 680 feet below sea level. It's about 13 miles, you know, long, about seven and a half to eight miles wide, with the widest point being the city called Magdala, where Mary Magdalene came from. It's about 150 feet deep in the center of the Galilee Sea. It's a lake. It's not a sea. So Luke says it right, the Lake of Gennesaret. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Which means hearing. That's what Simon means, you know, from the Hebrew Simeon and so forth. Hearing or hearkening or listening. That's what Simon means, listening. Now, when you read the Bible, because remember Jacob had a son named Simeon, his second oldest son. It's his name means hearing too. Simon, Simeon. When you read the Bible, it's interesting that this Simon was a real popular name during that day. It's a real popular name. It was like, you say, well, Simon, you know that, that game Simon Says. You remember how many of you used to play that game? Simon Says, do this, and Simon by the guy, what's his name, Ralph H. Byer and the guy, his buddy that, you know, made the game with um, Howard D. Morrison, they made the game. Simon Says, you remember it was like that, that little yellow, blue, green, and red thing you had to push it. Simon Says, you know, and it's good for kids, too, because Simon, teach them how to listen. But Simon was like a really popular name in the first century, not because of Simeon, um, Jacob's son, but it was popular because of Simon Maccabee, one of the Maccabee brothers who died in 135 B.C. That name became one of the most popular names in that region at a particular time in history. Simon, everybody was naming their kid Simon. Simon, Simon says, Simon says, you know, we used to tell our kids, Simon says, clean your room up. <laughs> What? <laughs> you know, Simon, he says he saw Simon. There's about nine people in the Bible named Simon in the New Testament. You had Jesus' brother named Simon in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, in Matthew 13, parallels 55. He was, his name was Simon. You had Simon Zelotes, one of the 12, one of the other apostles mentioned in Acts you know, 1.13 and Luke 6.15. You have Simon the Tanner in Acts chapter 9, verse 43. There was Simon Iscariot. Remember, he was the father of Judas Iscariot, mentioned only by John's gospel in John chapter 6, verse 7, John chapter 13, verse 2. We also had Simon the Pharisee. Remember, Jesus was invited to Simon's house, the Pharisee. And, you know, in, that, in Luke chapter 7, you had Simon the leper from Bethany who was, some believe that he was related to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Some even said that he could have been their father. We don't know that. But you had Simon the leper, you know, who Jesus ate dinner with when Mary comes with an alabaster flask of oil and pours it, breaks it, pours it down on Jesus. That was a Simon the leper house in um, Matthew 26, 6. So you had Simon the leper. You had Simon of Cyrene. Remember the one who was compelled by the Roman soldiers to carry Christ's cross? 
You had that Simon who carried the cross all the way to Golgotha. I like that Simon. He, he, you know, Mark tells us that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. I like that I like that guy. He carried the cross. That's Simon. Then you had Simon the sorcerer, remember? He was trying to buy the Holy Spirit so he had powers like the apostles in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Remember that Simon whose heart wasn't right with God, who wanted to be, had the power that the apostles had, and he was just a weird man, you know? We don't know if he ever got saved or not. However, this Simon here is a different Simon. This Simon here in this verse is Peter. Out of all the Simons in the world, God chose this Simon. Out of all the people in the world that was named Simon during that time, there was one Simon that Jesus walked by that Galilee Sea off that shore, on the outskirts of the shore early in the morning. He sees these fishermen out there, and he says, hey, you, use this Simon. Out of all the Simons in the whole world, he calls this particular Simon. And not only does he calls him, Simon means hearing. He hears Jesus calling him. He calls Simon as he calls Simon. Simon, you know, name is going to be changed. Jesus says, look, you know, John tells us that one of the two who heard John speak followed was Andrew, Simon's Peter brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said, then we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, looked meaning Simon, he said, you are Simon, sir, you know, son of Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated into stone, Petros. Not Petra. But Petras, Petras, that big, large bedrock. Petras is a little stone. Peter is called the stone. This Simon, Jesus changes his name. Isn't that something? He changes his name. And Jesus would later tell Peter, <laughs> he's, and then when he, you know, when he was, you know, I guess when Peter was in the flesh, Jesus called him Simon. You know, he says, he says Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. This Simon, out of all the people in the world, think about your Christian life and think about it careful. Out of all the people in the world, every civilization that ever existed, God called you by name. He called you by name. You were the one that he was interested in calling. Out of all the people in the world, whatever your name is, he says, you're the one. Hey, you. Hey, you, you. He, he saw him, and that's who he went after. It's a privilege to be a Christian. It's a privilege to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen? It is a privilege to be a Christian, and sometimes we disdain even thought of it. We don't deserve nothing. He don't owe us nothing. You know, we, we, we didn't get what we deserve. And it's all grace. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And he appears to Peter. He appears to Peter, and he calls him Simon, and he changes his name to Peter. He says, and he saw Simon and Andrew. Andrew is from the Greek word that means manly. He was one of John the Baptist's you know, disciples at first. John pointed him to the Messiah. And he's on, on the two lists where he, the names you know, the, of the apostles are mentioned in, in Matthew's gospel, you know, Matthew 10 to Luke 6, 14, is interesting that Andrew is coupled with his brother, Peter, Simon Peter. 
on those lists. They're paired together. Andrew, so as Simon and Andrew, his brother, cast a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me. Is that in your Bible? If it is, you should always understand it and read it every single morning you wake up. Every single day you wake up, you just read this one, two words, follow, not a denomination, not an organization, not a, a movement or a sect, not a preacher, not a pastor, not a bishop. Follow me and follow me without a blueprint or a plan. But God has a plan. You have to follow him to find out the next steps. So I'll follow him, but I'll follow him but it's based on my terms. I'll follow him if he do this, if, if things go my way. I'll follow him. If everything's right in my life, I, I'll follow him. It's got to be perfect. Now. And, and look, don't, don't make me mad because I'm leaving this, this ministry. I'll lead the next church. I've got to you know, follow, follow me. And I will make you, and he says a key word, become. Become. Genomai is the Greek word, you know, to become is to merge or transition into from one point to another, one realm or condition to another, from following the Lord to the, the outcome being, I will make you become. I will make you become what? Fishers of men. It seems that Jesus only says that to Peter and Andrew in the sense that he'll make the other ones. He just said, follow me. But here he specifically tells these two brothers, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And it applies to all of them, I'm sure. He says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And then, you know, when they backslid, where did they go back to? They went back to fishing. Not fishing, men fishing for fish. And I think it was more than just Peter, Andrew, James, and John who was fishermen, because it seems like when you read John chapter 20, Thomas, you know, called twin or didomy, um, Nathaniel, who was probably more than likely of Canaan, who was called Bartholomew, I'm sure, the Zebedee brothers, and two other unknown disciples. John don't mention their name, but they all, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going fishing with you. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 your occupation is fishing. I'm talking about something eternal. I will make you, I will make you become fishers of men. Not the first day they followed them, they became fishers of men. It would be three years of training for them to understand what it means to be fishers of men. Three years. And notice what it says, no hesitation. They immediately, King James says straightway, left, they forsook. So Jesus says, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. He says, you can't forsake all that you have. You cannot be my disciple in Luke 14, 33. He says, they immediately left their nets and followed Look, it's the word follow, echolatheo in the Greek, cleave, it's steadfastly to one. In other words, conform wholly to his example and living, and if need be, by dying also. Follow, 
It says to take up your cross and follow me. It's interesting that John, in John chapter 18, verse 12, in John chapter 8, verse 12, rather, Jesus likened himself as a torch or light, because he says, I'm the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows, is echolothere, the same Greek word, he who follows me should not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You know, David would write, my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. And look what he says, immediately they left. He said, I'll be Jesus' disciple, but oh, I look, that's too much work to do, all that follow. I'd rather hang in the bars and drink and get, you know, stoned. And then, you know. No, he says, follow me. And you got to give them some credit. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Not a denomination, but Jesus. So many people in the church today has stopped following after Jesus and become followers of a man or some icon or some system or something else. And, and you know, you all are some prominent figure that, that misleads and mistreats them. And they leave the church. And this is exactly what happens when you're not following the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Holy One of Israel. You become that it's about you and not about him. No longer is it about Jesus, it's about you. And here they said, no, no. There I am, Lord. I'm following you. I have no agenda. They had nothing. They brought nothing to the table. They had no agenda. I'm just following Jesus. You know, I'm glad I've been walking with the Lord for a long time now. My joy when I wake up in the morning, I'm still following Jesus. I am still following and walking with Jesus. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. They can always dime me up. I'm still walking with Jesus Christ. Haven't changed anything. Read, I still pray. I love the Lord. I love serving. I'm still walking with Jesus Christ. Because that's what means so much to me. Not being a pastor. Not being in some leadership title, some stuff that don't really have no value. But being a follower of Jesus Christ. Most people like their titles more than they love following Jesus Christ. And then they'll get a title and stop following Jesus Christ. They'll make the title an idol or something. He says, follow me. And they followed him immediately. They left everything and followed him. When he had gone a little further from there, he saw James. Now, there's a bunch of, not a bunch of James. is probably a transliteration of Jacob. Four other people in the Bible named James. So out of all the Jameses in the world, this James. This James. This particular James. This is the James I want. This is the James. You know, I want James. Jesus had a brother named James who became the prominent leader of the church. You read Acts chapter 15. He's the one that gets up and speaks. He became the leader of the church. He was called Ocamones. He was the one that didn't even believe in the Lord. As a matter of fact, when Christ was resurrected in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, and he appeared to James. Or James was more than likely the one in John chapter 7, verse 5, say, oh, sure, you're the Messiah and all this. Go show yourself to the people. And, you know, he, it was that James. He ends up writing the book of James. He's not talking about that James here. He's talking about James, the son of Zebedee. This particular James, you know, you had other Jameses in the Bible. You had James, who was the father of Judas, the one that was called Judas, not Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, 
His father's name was James, but this is a particular James here that his father was Zebedee. It says he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. John, the beloved one, the one whom Jesus loved. He writes all the time, he writes like at least three times in the Gospel of John. He says, the one whom he loved, the one who leaned on his bosom. John, is this, this is the John, listen, who writes the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the revelation of Christ. It's this John here. They don't know that they're going to be what they are. They don't know that. They don't know. They just say, all right, we're going to follow. Like people follow Jesus and they want a blueprint. They want a blueprint. They say, well, Lord, I'll follow you if everything goes the way I want it. If, if things somebody run me the wrong way, I'm just, I don't know. It don't work like that. It don't work like that. You follow Jesus because you love him. And they left everything and they followed Jesus. And then you say, well, what's the plan? Uh, we don't know. We, we don't know. Some believe that John was as young as 14 years old when the Lord called him. He was young. When he's standing at the cross with Mary, Jesus says, woman, behold thy son, and son, behold thy mother. He's about 17 years old there. 17 years old. And he sees Christ hanging on the cross. And John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets, and immediately he called, it's Calio, he called, it's Eridus, and, and, you know, once and for all, is you know, the active, you know, the active, you know, indicative mood, you know, is Eridus, once and for all, he called them, he says, and immediately he called them, and they left their father, <laughs> imagine that, you know, somebody called you, you barely know him, and he left their father in the boat, with their hired servants, and went after him. He said, Dad, I quit this job. Where you going at? With Jesus. You, gotta, you know they had money because it says he had hired servants in the boat. They have hired servants. You had money. So he did. John and James didn't come from like a poor family. I'm sure they didn't. Jesus called these working gods. They were working men. They weren't lazy men. They were working men. Fishermen was hard work. And Jesus bids them to leave their secular occupation and become his disciples. And I will make you become fishers of men. Not a lot of information that goes behind that. I'll make you fishers. Well, what's the payment? He didn't say that. What's the retirement package? Well, is it a 401k involved or 403b or <laughs> stocks? You know, what's the plan? Where do you get? I'm, where's the job site, job site location? No, they don't tell them none of that. They left their full-time jobs. Look, to leave your job, you better make sure the Lord calling you to leave your job. I left my job 2007, never went back. The Lord said, leave. I was in Africa. The Lord said, you got to leave that place. Sitting under a tent, listening to worship music at this conference in South Africa, in Cape Town, and I heard the Lord's voice say, leave. And I left. And I used to ride past my job sometime, like just to ride past, and I used to be hollering out the window, don't quit that job, it got good benefits, you know. And I never looked back. I never looked back. I've eaten every day. I've slept every day. And God has blessed me in a lot of ways for leaving. I don't regret not one iota, not one second, not one minute of it. 
And they went after him, not nothing else. So all the questions you might have asked, well, what's the payment plan? How am I going to get paid? None of these questions are answered. But it says, follow me, which would be a, a, a much more superb, honorable work. It's better, than being, it's better than any job in the world. It's better than being the president, the senator, the governor, the congressman, the doctor, the lawyer, the teacher, the scientist, the physicist, or whatever. This great occupation that these men have was to follow Jesus Christ. No other occupation is better than his occupation. And the benefits are eternal. I have not seen, I have not heard, nor has entered the heart of man with things that God has prepared for those who love him. But by his spirit, they've been revealed. Peter said, we gave up everything to follow you. Jesus, you didn't give up anything that you won't get back a hundredfold in this lifetime. In Mark chapter 10. And you think about it. You say, oh, I'm giving up this if I do. They they didn't think that way. Immediately they left. You know, one writer wrote this. He says, our Lord said, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. It is evident then that a true disciple is a soul winner. It is possible to sit on the shore discussing the signs of the times when you ought to be driven by the signs of the times to launch out into the deep and let down our nets for a catch. You see a lot of people sitting around talking small talk. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be this when the Lord, the Lord called me to do this. The Lord called me to do that. Yeah, sure, he called you to do this. Let me tell you something. If you're not being a fisher of men, he ain't called you too much to do much of anything but that. He said, I'll make you become fishers. That's what he chose the disciples to be. A disciple of Christ becomes fishers of men. Jesus saw their lives before and after. He saw the, he sees Andrew who preaches, you know, later on in, in many of the Asianic, you know, nations he would go. And he, you know, when he arrives to this place called Odessa, he ends up getting there. They take him and crucify him. Jesus saw that when he called him. On a, like an X-shaped cruci, you know, cross. They crucified Andrew. And that's where we get the term St. Andrew's cross. It's like an X. He saw Peter in that Mammontine dungeon. They took Peter, his wife, they killed Peter, wife right before him. Then they took Peter, they ready to crucify Peter. Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord, and was crucified upside down. He saw James. He called him, but he saw James getting beheaded by Herod in Acts chapter 12. He saw John being thrown in his hot cauldron of boiling hot grease, you know, by the Romans. And then Domitia, who was the emperor, had him banished to the island of Patmos because he didn't die. He came out of that, you know, that big pot, said, ta-da. They banished him to the island of Patmos where he wrote the revelation of Christ. He said, you know, the old church fathers, they would say he suffered the martyrdom of long life. He's the only apostle that wasn't martyred because when they tried to do it, it didn't work. Jesus, when he called them, he saw what would happen to them. And when he calls us, he sees exactly what would happen in our lives. Nothing is shocking to him. Nothing is shocking. Nothing is shocking. When you follow the Lord, there's nothing to him. He's not like, you know, something happened. I can't believe I got cancer. I got leukemia. I got this. I got that. Or this happened to me. I can't. Oh, my God. They gave me two weeks to live. You'd be like, oh, okay. Well, he saw it coming before it happened anyway. And they would all be martyred with the exception of John. 
Luke hung on the knowledge tree. John Mark impaled, you know, tell us written through Alexandria, Egypt, all of his bones came off his bodies. Timothy beaten because he spoke out against some blasphemous behavior in a parade in Ephesus, beaten to death. He saw that and he sees it in our life. You don't know how you're going to end this place. But work like every day, the rapture's coming. What manner of life should we have known that the day is approaching? How should your life be? How should you really live? How should you really live? How should your life be? How should you look at your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, how am I going to finish this thing? Am I going to finish this following Jesus or am I going to finish it following myself? How? How am I going to do it? And all he says is just two simple words to all of us sitting here. Follow me. That's it. He says, follow me. He says, well, Lord, I don't know. Follow me. It's tough. Follow me. Follow. He says, I'll follow you based off terms. And when the terms is not right, I'll stop following you. Oh, I'll follow you, all right. But it has to be on my terms. That's not what he told these guys. That's not what he's telling any of us in here. If you think that's your Christianity, you could, you, 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 you're greatly deceived. He's not telling none of us that follow him on the terms. He said, follow me. Follow me. And it says in verse 21, Then they, Jesus and his disciples, went into Capernaum, these new disciples. Capernaum is, is not even mentioned in the Old Testament, the city but it's 16 times mentioned in the New Testament. Capernaum means village of Nahum. Nahum, which means compassionate. This was a very busy fishing port on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this would be the place where Jesus was set up like a ministry, sort of like a headquarters of some sort here. You know, you read Matthew 4.13, Luke 4.31. It's sort of like he sets up a headquarters there. Although Jesus would set up his headquarters in the city, the people of this city, they didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't follow Jesus. They didn't. He pronounced the curse in this city when we get to, you know, um, Matthew chapter 11. Verse 23 and 24. And Jesus performed a number of miracles in Capernaum, but they didn't really believe in him. So it's amazing how people can be so close to seeing what the Lord can do and, and yet not see his goodness and his power. He, set, he comes set up shopping, your city, and you don't, some of y'all don't even believe in him. And he went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. You know, Luke tells us that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, synagogues being glorified by all. So he's coming here to teach, in verse 22 it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. He wasn't one of those guys coming like, cutting and pasting a sermon together off Google. You know, <laughs> I got a message. <laughs> Where do you get it from? Oh, yeah, I cut this, paste this. I got this, paste of <laughs> You know, or he wasn't one of those guys that said, Aqaba said this, or Shimei said this, Halal said this, and Gamaliel said that. You know, he didn't quote the rabbis. He was teaching the word of the living God. That's what we need more of in the church, teaching of the word of God. And they were astonished at his teaching. Look, they were not astonished. He didn't say they were astonished at his miracles. 
It didn't say they were astonished at what suit he wore or what car he drove up in or how great an orator skills he had and how, you know, orator and how, you know, how popular he became. So he was just this greatness. He had, he, you got the look to be a preacher. No, it was nothing that was comely that anybody would desire him in the first place. But they didn't see, it didn't say, it says that they were astonished at his teaching. The word of God. That's when we should be astonished at the word of God. They were astonished at his teaching. Not somebody getting up there behind a pulpit, screaming and shouting and going crazy. So everybody's, oh, man, this was great. And they oh, my God. And they shouting, barking. And people say, oh, man, this is wonderful. You see him, he's jumping around. He's sweating everywhere, sweat coming out. You know, wiping his mouth and then shouting and screaming. And people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus did none of that. They were astonished at his teaching. I like that. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man there in the synagogue who, with an unclean spirit, it's also called an evil spirit. Interesting to note that, in, that nowhere in the Old Testament is there ever mention of anyone being demon-possessed. But it does say in the Old Testament that an evil spirit, you know, was sent to Saul, remember? But it never says that it possessed them, you know, deceitful spirits. You know, by Paul, he speaks of that unclean spirit. He says, in the, in the synagogue was an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, this is a demon. Let us alone, for what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? See, even the demons know where he came from. This unclean spirit knew who Jesus was and where he came from. Did you come to destroy us? He also knew that Jesus had the power to destroy him, too. Isn't that something? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He says, I know who you are. The demons know who he is. James, the Lord's brother, who was the Lord's brother, says that you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. In James 2.19. So they knew who he was, but Jesus rebuked him, this demon, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. You know, by casting out this unclean spirit, it's interesting. It shows us that Jesus is demonstrating that he has the power over the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God has power over the kingdom of darkness. And it's interesting to know that. And most people don't realize that when they look at the devil, they think like the devil has more power than God. No, he don't have more power than God. He's a created creature, you know. He don't have more power than God. The devil made me do it. No, most of the time you wanted to do it. Blame the devil. <laughs> and it says, then they were all amazed. Something those who witnessed this event were amazed. They were astonished at his teaching, but now says they were all amazed so that, they, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, and they sitting there, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority is the word exousia, authority, delegated authority, empowerment, conferred power, operating in a designated jurisdiction. That's what the word really means. For what authority, for with authority... For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits. Notice what it says. And they obey him. Isn't that something? 
Because remember when Jesus taught, he taught from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2a. Because if he would have mentioned the other part, judgment would have entered into the whole world. So he stops at the first half of Isaiah 61, verse 2, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, he has, and has, and to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him, because he is the king of glory. And immediately his fame, notice, because he can set people from the freedom of the clutches of sin and shame by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, and immediately his fame spread through all the region around Galilee. Isn't that interesting? Immediately. It's Bible teaching. The preaching of the gospel. Repent. Believe in the gospel. Repent, metanoia, you know, believe, pastuo, the gospel, yo, angelion, you know, repent, believe in the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. You know, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this was written by the prophets, you know. And it's like so many people say, well, I want to follow the Lord. I'll follow the Lord. I'll follow the Lord. But it got to be predicated on this. I'll follow the Lord. I want based on how I feel. You hear see that all the time. I'm to just don't live by how they feel. Habakkuk 2 4, they just live by faith. You live by faith. What is your faith in the day? What has you placed your faith in the day? Yourself? Or have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Because when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you know what happens? You start following them. You don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I know today troubles are sufficient. Why should I even worry about what's going to happen tomorrow? We might get raptured right, right now. I would love that. Wouldn't y'all love that? I would love to be raptured. Pew, pew. People that don't love to be raptured because they love themselves so much, they'd rather stay here. God bless you. I want to get out of here. I check out a building project in Germantown. I don't love that more than the rapture. <laughs> the rapture came and said, see y'all guys later. I'm out of here. <laughs> Amen.